The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI, Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Good morning. You're listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm Janine, and this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. First up on my guest list this morning is Kate Black. She has lived and worked in the major fashion centers of the world, and she's written over 1,000 articles about designers and ethical fashion from her decidedly global perspective. She's also the founder and editor-in-chief of Magnifico.com, the digital source for eco-fashion and sustainable living. She's also the founder of Eco Sessions, a global platform bringing together designers, industry, and consumers to talk about change. So it's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show, Kate Black. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for calling in. I found your book to be very, very interesting. Oh, good. I'm glad you liked it. I want to back up a second, Kate, and talk about how you got involved in this industry. Um, it started, I, I have a background in digital publishing and online marketing um, and was working in my field until I had the chance to move to Tokyo, Japan mm-hmm. in 2008. So it just became an opportunity to start something fresh and start something new. So Magnifico, Magnifico, E-C-O, mm-hmm. began as a daily eco-fashion blog. So I was writing about designers and brands that were doing things differently. And at the time, you must have felt like, wow, this really is my calling. I mean, how... how how did you connect to this? It did, actually. It melded my skills with my passions. I've been a vegetarian for over 20 years and really kind of environmentally um, astute. And so I, at the time when I started the blog, I thought, okay, I could write about food, which I was super passionate about, or mm-hmm. I could write about fashion. And at the time, it just didn't seem like people were focusing on ethical fashion and eco-fashion. So there was a there was a kind of a space in the in the market, and I just loved it. I fell in love with designers. I fell in love with their stories. I found in, fell in love with kind of the things that people were creating in, in just a different way. And we were talking offline how, I mean, I've struggled with eczema, and all of a sudden I have a reaction to something. There are so many products. I mean, I'm so guilty of it. I use on a daily basis, and there are things in there I can't even pronounce. It's true. It's true. And actually, the one of the research um, points that I bring up in the book is that eczema is really on the rise. And so we're experiencing dermatitis and all kinds of skin sensitivities. And it could be from clothes. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people don't realize that clothes are really quite laden in chemicals and finishings and formaldehyde before it's shipped. And yes. there's, a, there's just a slew of chemicals in the clothes and then in our personal care products as well. So it's hard to kind of find the smoking gun, especially if you're someone or in 
a family where someone suffers from that. Yes. So it, it makes it a little kind of crazy to figure out. And what I wanted to do with the book is give some strategies and ideas to just kind of peel back mm-hmm. and pull back away from, from a lot of chemicals. So the theme of my show is get the funk out. And a lot of times um, you don't know why you're feeling a certain way, but it could be what you're putting on your body, in your body, obviously. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think we're at this stage now where most people recognize that what we put in our mouth affects our health, but mm-hmm. I don't think that we, we're at the stage yet where everybody is, is considering that what we put next to our skin, which is our largest organ, also affects our health. Right, right. Can we talk about some of the, um, some of the topics you bring up in your book? Yeah, sure. So, um, so it started with fashion because the blog um, started with fashion, and that, but I couldn't talk about chemicals in clothing without obviously talking about personal care products. I couldn't talk about that without talking about um, jewelry and and um, you know some of the some of the nasty things I've been finding in costume jewelry and then shoes and bags. So it's really it's called the head to toe guide because every chapter focuses on something. So it starts off with beauty and personal care products, goes into clothing, talks about underwear because mm-hmm. if we're talking about clothing and sensitivity, the things that are closest to your skin are probably the ones that you want to pay the most attention to. Sure. Um, talk about shoes and handbags, jewelry, and then a whole chapter on what to do with it when you're done. Because if you if you're start to be mindful about the things that you're buying and the things you're bringing into your house for you and your family, do you also need to be mindful about after the purchase? I think we don't, I think as we start to realize that fashion is a bit of an environmental issue, two-thirds of a carbon footprint of a garment happens when we take it home. We start washing, drying, dry cleaning, and then if you don't have a strategy of what to do when it's done and it ends up in a landfill, that's a whole other kind of little disaster waiting to happen. Right. Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, I went to the um, Health Products Expo in Anaheim, and and I, I've been for many years in a row, and there are so many products from shampoos to... So it's not just everything food. It's There's so much you can change. Can you talk about maybe some basic steps people can take? Yeah, I think... And, and I think people realize or they think that, that there's not a lot out there, especially if we keep going to the same places. So in the grocery store and in the, that aisle that has a few products and then in the drugstore, those aisles haven't really changed. And so those are the, the huge conglomerate mainstream brands. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what people don't realize is or they kind of have this impression that the FDA is protecting us, but what they don't realize is that in the U.S. alone, there's only 11 ingredients that are on the banned or restricted list, 11 um, chemicals, Mm -hmm. compare that to Canada where there's 600, or compare that to the EU where there's 1,300, we're not getting the best product that we we think we're getting when we shop in the the traditional spots. As soon as you go to the health food store, as soon as you go to an expo like that, or depending on what your your, um, geographic locale is, there's actually shops that are popping up that are beauty, detox beauty shops that only sell natural um, and non-toxic beauty care or personal care items. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really, I think it, it, it's easy to find if you just step out of the traditional places where you normally go. Um, and then the, 
the, the non-toxic products have the same kind of quality. They give you the same kind of results you're looking for. It just takes a little while to get used to it. One of the things I think people notice the most is like this lather or the, the feeling between their fingers. Yes. And, and non-toxic products don't necessarily feel that silky feel, but that silky feel is actually from plasticizers and silicones. And, you know, you kind of really want to get away from that. So it just I think it just takes a little bit of time for the brain to, to rewire the that that's not a good feeling, that that's actually a bad feeling, and I'm looking for something that doesn't feel like that. No, it is it is interesting because it's all fake. It's just a, an additional thing to marketing the product. Oh, all of it. Like even our addiction to like this clean laundry smell. Mm-hmm. The chemicals in, in, in the fragrance of laundry detergent are, are really not good for us. So, so really a good, clean laundry smell should be no smell at all. So something that you've hung outside or something that's, you know, you've, you just let the sun do its antibacterial job, which the sun is a great antibacterial cleanser, so to speak. And so I think we're just, we need to rewrite some of those expectations that we have about scent and, and texture and, and, and these things that are really kind of commodified, but not, not for our best interest. And, you know, I didn't want to forget to talk about this because I put this on my blog. And by the way, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Kate Black. And, but one of the things I put on my blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org, was the um, horrific factory collapse in Bangladesh. Yeah, it was, it was one of the, fr- it wasn't the only time, but it was yeah. one of the, f- um, it was probably the second time where consumers really got a glimpse of what, what, the, um, what the weaknesses are in mainstream and, and huge multinational brands. Because when this, this factory collapsed in Bangladesh only two years ago, and it was the largest industrial disaster of our time, um, a lot of brands said, oh, no, we weren't there, even though the labels were in the rubble. Mm-hmm. And so... So what, what started to come out of that reality was that brands actually didn't know where their production was happening. They had contracted somebody who had subcontracted who had subcontracted. So, so that means that you might trust a brand or you might think, oh, well, this, is, you know, this brand is from X country and I know that they have high standards in, in X country, but that brand has kind of lost sight of the whole supply chain. So it means that we're putting our trust in people that maybe or, or companies that that we are kind of not recognizing don't have the full control on their production. Mm-hmm. No, that was a horrible thing. I remember reading about that. Oh, it was awful. 1,200 people died in a factory that shouldn't have been operating anyway, and, mm-hmm. and everybody knew that there was collapse, and they were told if they didn't go to work that day that they would be fired. And these are, these oh. are some of the poorest um, groups of people who need their salary. So, so it was a really tough choice get fired or, or get the money, and, and unfortunately, it was a terrible choice. Right. Ugh. Now, I want to um, also touch on eco-sessions. Um, this is a platform you're bringing together designers, people in the industry. Tell me about how you started that. Yeah, so, um, so after, so I lived in Japan, I started Magnifico as a blog in Japan, and then after the earthquake, um, the nuclear disaster, and the tsunami, I emigrated to the U.S., but I'm not originally from 
here. I'm from Canada. Mm-hmm. So I was given permission to live but not to work. So my immigration lawyers took one look at the blog, and they were like, no, 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 no that's work. You need to shut that down. Yes. But I, here I was all of a sudden in the country where I spoke the language and with people who were doing really great things. So I put Magnifico on hold, and then I started that kind of same storytelling in an events platform. So eco-sessions um, happen in cities around the world, and they're kind of really a storytelling event. So designers and industry will come and do a panel, and consumers and, and people in the community can come and hear about what it takes to make a really good product. These are kind of entrepreneurial meets passion stories, and, and, and kind of, so it's a short platform, and there's 45 minutes where they're talking and um, somebody's asking them questions depending if I'm in the city I'll do it or somebody else and then there's a chance to really kind of meet and and kind of network and and mingle afterwards to just kind of meet people who are interested in these issues people who are doing things there's usually a lot of makers in the audience and so it just turns out to be like a little kind of tribe gathering of people who are curious about these things Mm -hmm. it's interesting did you what what are what have been the some of the things people have said about your blog and this whole perspective you have? Well, I think the I think the blog always well the blog had a lot of success. Like at its height, it was read in 120 countries. Amazing. We had 26 contributors from nine different countries. So I think people wow. liked the perspective that it was it was just good, beautiful products mm-hmm. that were made better. So it was um, and not a lot of like I never really talked about the issues that I uncover in the book because I just assumed that's a that's a non. Uh, a non-issue like people knew the issues and people understand that there's chemicals in clothing and conventional dyes are harmful and Mm -hmm. I just kind of assumed that people knew that and so I spent a little what little space you have to write about a brand or write about a story just writing about the good but when eco session started and we started to do this Q&A and the questions that just kept rising up I thought oh yeah people People don't really know, no. and so I, I so the, I, I'm very lucky because the eco sessions kind of just bred this idea that, you know, what somebody needs to write a really kind of the shadowy secrets about the fashion, the beauty, the accessory, the jewelry industries, and just kind of say where we're at now because I think we, and I did too before I got involved in this. Um, I think we think that it's further evolved than it actually is. Right. So, so the book has a lo- like quite a bit of dark, shadowy things in there. But then, in the Magnifico fashion, I talk about brands and game changers and people who are just doing it better. So, so it gives both perspectives. You can have enough information to talk at a dinner party about, you know, what's going on around the world in the fashion industry. But then you also have really good, affordable choices for you and your family. And so, where can people start as far as? Because I think sometimes you think oh no, it's going to be so much more expensive to go out and buy, you know, makeup that doesn't have chemicals. I mean, where where are some of the places, just some ideas where people can go? So I think that's a really good point. And that's, that's almost, in most cases, true. Mm-hmm. Products that are made better are more expensive. So, so one of the first strategies that I suggest is that you really start to evaluate, start with th- simple things like body soap. Mm-hmm. Right, you don't need to use a chemical lead in body soap when when a natural um, something from the health food shop will work just as good. Dr. Broner's is totally inexpensive and is a good clean soap. Yes. So you can make easy switches that are comparable. And then when it gets into things like shampoo, mm-hmm. 
you know, good shampoo without a lot of um, nasties is a little bit more expensive, but I don't use it as often. So, right. so I think it, then it gets to a question of, do you need to use all the products that you're using? And once, personally for myself, once I started to evaluate that, I don't use body lotion anymore. Like I was using it without even thinking every day when I got out of the shower. But when I started to evaluate it, I actually don't need body lotion. And there's a bunch of other products that I was able to kind of scale away and, and not necessarily need. So, so the number of things that I buy are less, mm-hmm. and I spend about as much as I did before. Well, you know, I started to think about that too because but my skin gets dry. Um, the reason I brought that up is because I thought, I don't need to buy those makeup wipes. What if I use, like, coconut oil to take my makeup off? Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I used to use, I was using back to body lotion. I was habitually using it without even thinking about it. So it took me probably three or four weeks for my skin to kind of re-normalize. Mm-hmm. So, so there's other things like as you make this tr- transition, and I talk about it in the book, go for the easy wins first. Go for things like body soap, shaving cream. Um, I, I pretty much eliminated deodorant, but there's better deodorants that you could wear less. Mm-hmm. Um, lipstick. You can buy an amazing, great lipstick without any kind of, especially lead is an, is an issue in lipstick. So, so you can make some easy switches. And then the things that are a little bit more um, close to you and, and maybe something that affects you are going to take a little bit longer. Right, right. I know it's not an easy overnight thing to do. You have to do your homework. Exactly. And, and we all know it. Like, you love your shampoo because it works with your hair. And I love my shampoo because it works with my hair. And when I make that transition, when I made that transition, it took me a couple trials to find one that was good. And I was really lucky because in the final brand, somebody had recommended it to me. Um, and I used uh, Intelligent Nutrients, which mm-hmm. is the brand um, by the former founder of Aveda. Oh, yeah. He sold Aveda off to Estee Lauder, and then he went off and made a really, really, really good, clean brand. And a friend said to me, it's going to take six weeks. Like, you're going to have stringy hair for about six weeks. And so I had to plot, you know, when in the year I, I could struggle <laughs> through this, right. right? So I thought, okay, the summertime, because, you know, in the humidity, the hair, I can wear it up. And, and right. so it, it did take a while to adjust, but now that I have, I've never loved my hair more. Like, it just has such great health and feeling and everything else. So, so it, was, it was a long kind of progression, and I'm very happy that my friend told me that it was going to be a long progression right. so I could plan for it and, and wait it out. Right. No, it's so funny because I used to wash my hair every day. Now it's, I wait like three days, and I used yeah. to think, oh, that's awful. You know, I'll look so stringy and greasy, <laughs> but it's not the case at all. No, yeah. and I think it depends on what product you use, and, and, that's, and I talk about it in my book. This is kind of one of the cycles, one of the other cycles we get into, like, without even thinking. So the more we wash our hair, the more we have to wash our hair mm-hmm. because we're robbing the scalp of the sebum. And, and so we just kind of, I think a lot of times, we just start to do things without being mindful about it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people now, um, there's this movement called the no-poo movement where, where women just aren't washing their hair. They're wetting it. They're putting in a little vinegar once in a while to kind of readjust the pH balance, but really not using any sort of sulfactant or any sort of soap whatsoever and having the best hair of their lives. Vinegar. I have to try that. It's Yeah. I mean, 
I haven't got that stage. I'm with you. I wash it about every three days. Right. But yeah, I think, yeah, I could, I might be able to get rid of shampoo. Well, let me ask you this, though, because, um, you know, I talk about, I, I'm also a vegetarian, but I do dye my hair. And how, how do you transition from going from, you know, these chemicals to something that does the job that's not so hard on your body? I don't know. I'm with you. I still dye my hair. <laughs> I stumped and you. That's, and that's the other thing, too, is that there's some things. I still dye my hair, and I still use conventional mascara. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's some things, and this is why I think of it as an overall kind yeah. of toxic health. Like, right. I want to reduce the number of chemicals that I use in a lot of products. Yes. I eliminated perfume altogether because that's one of the, the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but that was my choice because right. I, I cannot... I, I'm sure I can, but I choose not to eliminate hair dye. And so I had to eliminate all the other really bad things, including perfume, in order to kind of live with with that choice. Hair dye is terrible for us. We really should not be doing it. Um, But but that, again, it's a personal choice. And I I don't know if you feel the same, but I just kind of can't let that one go. I know. So I do a whole bunch of other things to kind of compensate on a healthier note to kind of support that. Yes. Well, and the other thing I've done, I used to be very addicted to junk food. So um, Mm. I started, you know, weaning myself off of eating meat. And then I started realizing that you could eat so many other things and completely go without meat. So I'm a total vegetarian and I feel better and I feel different. And then, you know, you just start making little changes along the way. Maybe it's the products, a lipstick, whatever it is. I think so, too. And I think that, you know, I hope when people read my book that or listen to this interview that you recognize, like, I think everything should be done in moderation. I don't think that you're going to read my book and everything is going to be 100% non-toxic and all your clothes and everything in your closet are going to be, like, 100% ethical. Like, right. and, and a case in point are running shoes. It's really hard to find a pair of trainers that are environmentally friendly or, you know, maybe up to the work standards that we would hope because there's yes. still a lot of, um, there's a lot of issues in, in labor of trainers and, and a lot of that has to do with how long it takes to make a pair of trainers versus the money that they spend in sponsorship. And, mm-hmm. and so, but, you know, trainers afford us to have a healthy lifestyle and do things that are better for us overall. So I think that it's really about moderation. And so it's better uh, for me, I think, to get the exercise and do the exercise in a pair of shoes that maybe aren't your favorite than not get the exercise and only wear environmentally friendly shoes. Oh, I completely agree. Um, You know what I started thinking? Because I have teenage girls. It's never too early to talk about this. No, I totally agree. Um, and I think, and I, and uh, on a couple of issues, because I think consumerism is at s- such a stage where, again, we're not being very mindful. And, and I think especially girls are with the hoarding videos. I don't know if you've seen these. These are videos where um, oh, girls yeah. on YouTube go off and, you know, they're given an allowance of 50 or or $100 and they go to the cheapest store so that they can come back and shoot videos of how much they were able to get for the, for that, that, um, budget. Yeah. And so it's about quantity over quality. And mm-hmm. I think that that's a really interesting conversation to be having with our children, like about quantity and the way that maybe we were raised to, to buy things that were made better, that would last better, to buy yes. things that we had some sort of emotional connection with over right. things that we were maybe only going to wear once, which is not really an economic, emotional yes. best purchase anyway. So, so I think it's a really, I think it's an interesting time to be raising children, and I think it's an interesting kind of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that with my teenage girls, like they might want their dry shampoo or their this or their that, and 
you know, I can't try to try to think to myself, you know, at some point I have to say, you know, no, because read the ingredients. If you can't pronounce them, it's probably not good. No, but then in a lot of cases, depending on your family and your family makeup, in a lot of cases those things can be made. Yeah. Like dry oh. shampoo can be made with, um, you know, ingredients at home. And, and the Internet, like the, the lucky thing is that the Internet is full of all of these innovative ideas about yes. how to kind of make a lot of that stuff at home. And um, before we wrap up, I, do you have a website people can find out more about you and about the book? Yeah, absolutely. So the blog um, is kind of the home for everything. So it's Magnifico, M-A-G-N-I-F-E-C-O, Magnifico.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the blog is on hiatus while we do all this book stuff. Um, but I'm, I'm active on social media. I'm just about to launch a gift buying guide on um, Instagram. Oh, Again, it's Magnifico on Instagram. So you can find me and follow me everywhere. That's great. Any uh, last bit of advice before we wrap up? No, I think as we get into the holiday season, I think um, I think if if people just start to be a little bit more conscious about what they buy, mm-hmm. they'll be happier, and the recipient, if it's a holiday gift, will be happier. And I think we can I think we can do this. We can change the system. Yes, I agree. Thank you so much, Kate, for calling in. It's a pleasure. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Bye. That was Kate Black joining us to talk about her new book, Magnifico, your head-to-toe guide to ethical fashion and non-toxic beauty. And uh, let's see, if again, if you want to find out more about this or you missed any part of today's show, it will be um, up on my blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be joined by my second guest, Jennifer Giles. She's an Emmy Award-winning host and comedic actress, and her bio is up on my blog again, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. 